0: on with our seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, uh, we're going to look at the second thing that scripture records that Jesus said to us from the cross. As you are flipping there, you notice that we're pretty much in about the same spot that we were last week. Ryan did a great job of taking us through the first thing that Jesus said on the cross. What was that? you remember? Father, forgive them them, for they know not what they're doing. Such a beautiful prayer. Such a glorious thing that our Lord prayed for you and me. And a lot of what Ryan talked about last week kind of brings us right up to the brink of where we were going this week. If you're like me, you love The Walking Dead. How many of you guys love that show? There's a few smart people in here. Good. Awesome. That's relationship-ending stuff for you guys, bud. I saw she didn't raise her hand. Um, you guys are going to have a hard time going past tonight. I just want to give you an honest truth. Um, either she's going to convert or, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'll pray for you. But The Walking Dead, the reason I love The Walking Dead so much is each week, it's like you're like right on the edge of your seat. Um, and so I knew where I was going. Uh, we've, we've got the next few weeks Planned out So when Ryan was, was talking and preaching through his message last week, it was, it was kind of flirting with where we're going. And I'm like, oh, this, this is good. I love when the Lord ties some things in. So you'll see that tonight he really, truly has tied some things in. Uh, so this is where we're going to go. I think I've wasted enough time. Maybe you're at Luke chapter 23. What is it that Jesus said in verse 43? He says this, truly... I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's our, that's our focus, where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, that's, that's where we're going to get to. But my question is, is how did we get from where, where Ryan had us last week to here? Because how many people were on the cross next to Jesus? Two, right? So there were two people, and, and you remember last week he, he talked about verse 39, when he says, one of the criminals who was hanged, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And then, then there's some things, some dialogue that happened in 40 and 41, and then we jump down to 42. So tonight what I want to do is I want us to go back and fill in the gap that we purposely left. Because there's such a beautiful thing that happens here that I want us to look at so that we can fully grasp the depth of what Jesus said in verse 39 when he said, truly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. So the way that I thought we could do this, let's have a little fun. I like, I like starting with the most obvious person that Jesus is not talking to. Now, why do I say that? How many people is Jesus talking to? Is this plural or single, or has he got the whole group out there? How many people did Jesus direct verse 43 to? One. And don't forget, some of you guys may have to speak up. Sometimes I might not see you. One. He's talking to one person. So let's look for that one person. And I know that most of you are church people. You probably know this one person that he's talking to. But maybe you're the person that's in the room and you say, man, I'm not a churchgoer. If you're like me, I came to church, never youth group, on on Wednesday nights. I just kind of came on Sunday mornings just because my parents drugged me to church. I didn't like church. I didn't know much about what was going on in the Bible. So maybe that's where you are tonight. So the one is who we're gonna look for. But to do that, let's rule out the other people. Now remember, there's... Three people on a cross. Jesus is right in the middle of this. There's a crowd of people that's out, much like where you guys are right now. Jesus is up. They're all watching him. So obviously Jesus is not talking to them because it's what? Singular or plural? Singular. singular. So he's not, he's not saying, truly I tell you. Now use one of those words that can be used plural, but in this sense he's not. He's not talking to the crowd. So we know that Jesus is not talking to the crowd. So who is he talking to? Well, let's look at one of the thieves. And so let's look at the attitude of this thief or criminal, as Luke calls it. Some of the other gospel writers call him thief. In verse 39, what does he say? It says, one of the criminals who hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Now, if you're anything like me The word railed at him really doesn't sound like it's that bad of a thing. Am I the only person that thinks that? Or do you guys like, somebody railed at him? Why is that? We don't really truly have a good, full understanding of what railed at someone means. Let me me walk us through that for a moment. In the original language, it says that this person blasphemed God or blasphemed Jesus. Now, there's a church word that we know holds some weight, but do we really fully understand what it means to blaspheme Jesus? Do you? Somebody try to give a shot. Okay, that's what I thought. So if rail doesn't get our attention, that really doesn't sound like that bad of a word. But blaspheme, that sounds like a bad word. But even though I don't fully know what that means, let's look a little more. I took the liberty of looking up blaspheme. You guys know where my favorite dictionary is, so I went there. Blaspheme means this, to speak of an irreverent or impious manner. Now, do you have a better full understanding of what it means to blaspheme someone? Not really, because that's the first definition. Let's look at the second one, because I think this is going to be open up our eyes moment. What does it mean to blaspheme? In this case, it means this, to utter obscenities or profanities. There's some language that we understand, don't we? So this is what this criminal is doing, this, this, this thief. He's hurling insults at Jesus. Not just insults, he's cussing profanities, insults, are going out towards Christ. This guy is literally using his last words to do this, to lay into Christ. He's a pretty bad guy, right? See, and Luke does this thing to where it almost paints a good thief and bad thief type of thing. And I know that Ryan kind of opened up our eyes to this last week. You know, in Luke, even though it doesn't say this, we know that, that both of these guys were hurling insults. Remember Matthew and Mark? We talked about that last week. And we went down that path, so I just want to recall your attention to that. So even though Luke doesn't give an account of this, we know that both of these guys are really, really bad. Let's face it. They're on a cross. They've broken some law. They weren't wrongfully accused. These are two of the most savage, heinous guys of the time because of the, of the punishment for their crime. That means that somebody there thought that they were pretty bad. So, let's, let's keep that in mind as we go through this. Now, obviously, Luke lets us see that one of these guys, he's a pretty rough guy. Literally, he's cussing at Christ. So, we see that that's, it's probably not this guy that's doing that. But what about the other guy? See, in Luke's account up to this point, he pretty much has been silent. You know, he's not really saying much. We know that from looking at the other gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, that this guy was right along with them. But you know, as the hours go by, is he running out of breath? Is it hard for him to speak? Because if you know medically anything that's going on, when these guys are hanging there, literally the rib cage is is crushing their lungs. So they don't have much room in their lungs anymore. So this is the whole scene that's going on. Is that why he stopped talking? I don't think so. So if he's not talking to this guy, the other thief, that is fighting through all of those things, then he must be talking to this other thief. When he says this, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. So what happened? Why is it that all of a sudden, this guy that may have been on this side, you've got the one criminal that's over here that is still railing at Christ, hurling insults, obscenities, and cussing at him, and just just really just laying into him when he says, what does he say? Hey, he says this in verse 39, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Imagine how he must have thought when his colleague on the other side of Jesus, maybe he was kind of looking around at Christ, checking out what he's doing. All of a sudden, he goes silent. But he doesn't just go silent. His whole attitude changes. Why did his attitude change? Why did his heart stop what happened? I love what John MacArthur says. John MacArthur says, because of a divine, sovereign Miracle. This guy over here, the bad thief, which they're both bad, but for the sake of our purposes tonight with Luke, the one that Luke shows is definitely a bad guy, he used literally his last dying breaths to insult and belittle Christ. And over here, the guy that was on the same team as him at one time, God did a divine, sovereign Miracle, according to John MacArthur. John MacArthur goes on to, to say that it was parallel to Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, there's something that we know about. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He what? Struck blind? Okay. What else happened to him? His name changed later on, but it, close? Yep. Why were all these things happening? What happened? Jesus what? Jesus, I'm sorry, what? He showed up. <laughs> Jesus showed up. Okay, Jesus showed up. The guy was blind. He eventually had a name change. What was taking place in Saul's life? Okay, but on the road, what happened? It's called salvation. I love what MacArthur says again when he talks about this. He says that God invaded his life, slammed him to the dirt, blinded him, and saved him. Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. Paul's life was a 180-degree turn. For some of you guys, as you've gotten older and you've surrendered your life to Christ, you're like, I got that. And guys, I stand right here today, and for everyone that's listening or watching, and say the same thing. I've got that. That is what God did to me. My wife experienced that. We were actually just talking about that the other day. Because when I was on my way to work, getting dressed, is what I mean on my way, In a bathroom at 3822 Tyburn Lane at Beale Air Force Base, California, God literally slammed me into the dirt, blinded me, not not physically blinded me. It changed my life. I had lived a certain life for so long that all of a sudden it was a 180-degree turn. That's what John MacArthur says is going on with Uh, with this criminal. That's what happened to him. Now, do you see that outwardly? Not yet, but I'll show you how we do. So imagine, this is happening over here. The other criminal is like, "Yo, why are you quiet? Why are you not talking? And then he says this. He says, he rebuked him. Scripture says that he rebuked this guy. And he says, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds? What? What happened? How did his life change so much that John MacArthur says it was a divine, sovereign miracle? Because it was the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. You know what changed his life? Love. Love. Guys, love is a powerful, powerful tool or weapon. How do I say that love changed his life? Why do I say that it was love that that changed this guy's life? All right, let's go back to the scene. What's happening? They're on the cross. There's three people. They're in agony. They've been hanging there for a while, since 9 a.m., we we say. So they've been hanging on the cross. They can barely breathe. They're in agony. They've got nails that are in their wrists and their feet. Jesus, in the center, has a crown of thorns on his head. They're laboring for breath. This guy over here won't shut up. He's wasting his breath. All of these people out here are hurling obscenities at Jesus. He's talking to Jesus, hurling obscenities. According to Matthew and Mark, this good guy, the good thief over here, is doing the same thing. He's hurling obscenities back to Jesus. Jesus knows that he's about to die And he knows that he's dying because of these people. This is where love entered into this guy's life and changed his life because finally Jesus was about to speak. I don't know, let's speculate for a minute. Maybe he's looking over and he sees his lips start to move and he's like, what is he about to say? And then all of a sudden he hears the most beautiful prayer come out of Jesus' mouth. And it's what Ryan talked about last week. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. It wrecked his life. It wrecked his life so much so that he instantly started seeing himself for who he was. He saw Jesus for who he was. And he all, we speculate that all of a sudden he had the attitude of Isaiah, woe is me. God. I was just hurling insults at you. I was just, along with him, I was possibly blaspheming you. We're mocking you. You have a crown of thorns on your head. You have a sign above your head in three different languages that says, Jesus, King of the Jews. We're all here to watch you die. And you are praying for us. His life was wrecked. Is there evidence of this? Yes, because what we've already read it. When he rebuked the other guy, we see the change in his heart by what comes out of his mouth. When he yells across and he says, do you not fear God? Since you too are under the same sentence of condemnation and we... Indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This is the evidence that he had a changed heart. Remember, we've talked about this before. Out of your heart, out of the overflow of your heart comes out of your mouth. If you're angry, if you're bitter, Usually anger and bitter words come out of your mouth. But if you're at peace, if you have joy, usually joyful talk, peaceful things come out of your mouth, this guy started spewing out speech that revealed his heart. So from these passages, from these couple of verses, what are the things that he said? What is it? that he said that we we see that was evidence of what was going on in his life there's a couple things he was aware that he was a sinner he was aware that he was a sinner how do i know this look at verse 41 he says that we indeed justly are receiving the due reward of our deeds hey i've done bad i am about to die I'm hanging on this cross. Why? Because I'm bad. I've done wrong. My reward is coming and is due to me. This is what I've done. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. So he saw himself as sinful, but also he feared God. Verse 40, he rebukes the other criminal when he says, Do you not fear God? What does Scripture say about fear of God is what? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, thank you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 and 10 says that. Oh, how much wiser is this criminal now Than he was moments earlier than when he was hurling insults towards Jesus, and in a moment, Jesus changed his life completely because of his love. He got wise really fast. And in his wisdom, you know what he realized? I am about to die. You know, they say that on a plane that's crashing, there's no such thing as an atheist. Because in that moment, everyone will cry out to God. This guy realized that his death was just a few breaths away from him. You start thinking about things real quick when that happens. But not once, not once did he ever say, Jesus, save me from this cross. I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. Get me down. No. He accepted where his destiny was taking him. I must die. Because I have done wrong. I've sinned. The what is coming my way, I have done. But the other thief on the cross, what's he doing? He's thinking of worldly, earthly things. He's not thinking... Kingdom thinking. He's thinking very earthly things. He's saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And when you save yourself, save me. I don't want to die. Get me off this cross. He's thinking very, very earthly. This guy is thinking of the life after. Both of these guys would have realized and believed that there was a life that was going to come after They were probably Jews. So this is what they believed. Or they've been around the Jewish teaching long enough that they knew that this is what they believed. So he was never asking Jesus to save me from death. Never did he say that. He was more interested in what would happen to him after death this is a guy that for the very short moments of time lived with the end in sight where am i about to go jesus when you come into your kingdom remember me i am i am worthy of death i have lived such a bad life i am getting what's mine But will you look for me after I die? Will you keep me safe and secure in your kingdom? Look at what he says. We see it right here in verse 42. That this guy was was realizing that death was right upon him. And he says this. And he says, Jesus. Now let's stop there because there's a lot that comes from that word right there. What does Jesus mean? Where's, where are my Hebrew studs or studettes? What, is, what does Jesus mean? You saw it on the screen. It's four letters because in the Hebrew language, there's no such thing as consonants. I mean, I'm sorry, vowels. Up here, you just saw this word more and then it morphed into another word. What was that word? Yeshua. Yahweh. That's that's where we get Jesus from. It It comes from the Hebrew word that means salvation. Salvation can only come from whom? A Savior. He was crying out to what he realized was his Savior. Save me. No, not from death. That's a temporal thing. We all will die. Save me in eternity. He was crying out to Jesus. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He wanted safety. He wanted forgiveness from the king over the kingdom that was to come. He knew that Jesus had power, enough power to protect him in this kingdom that was coming. And I love, I love what Jesus says to him. And this is where we started in verse 43. And when he sees his heart and he sees the change in this man's life, he says, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Notice he didn't say, hey, you're going to die, you're going to stay in the grave for a certain amount of time, and when when I return, I'm the Messiah, when I return at my second coming, I will will call you up from the grave. Those that are dead in Christ will be be raised from the grave. I'm, I'm not saying you don't have to wait then, today, today, You will be with me in paradise. That is some huge, deep words that he says. So my question is this, what is paradise? What is paradise? Why do you say heaven? Okay, all right. I like it. I ask her, why do you say heaven? She said, because it's paradise. As a matter of fact, it is. 2 Corinthians, don't have to turn there, but if you just want to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says that he was called up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is the abode of God. You have to realize the time and the culture that was taking place. What they believed at this time was that the first heaven was out here. It's the air that we see, all of this, the trees where the birds fly and all that. That's the first heaven. The second heaven was the atmosphere, space. I'm sorry, not not the atmosphere. It was space. It's where the stars and the moon and all that stuff is. That's the second heaven. So here in our atmosphere, we have the first heaven. Outside of our atmosphere, we have the second heaven. But the third heaven, which was common in this culture to know this, was the abode of God, where God lived. That is where Paul was taken to. How does paradise fit into this? Because later on in verse 3 of that same chapter, it says this, that Paul says that he was called up into paradise. Paradise is synonymous with heaven. Paradise is synonymous with heaven, as heaven is synonymous with the Garden of Eden. See, paradise comes from a Persian word. There's a weird group of people we haven't talked about in a while, usually Greeks, Aramaics, Hebrews. It's a word that they borrowed from the Persians. Paradise literally means garden or park. And here's the cool thing about the meaning of that word, is that the, it's, it's the same word that was used for a king when his kingdom, when he would want to visit with someone, if you got time with the king, you know where where someone would usually go and visit with the king? It was in the king's royal garden. They would walk and talk in the cool of the day in the garden and that's where the king of that kingdom would spend time with those that he ruled over. Oh my Lord! Does that sound familiar from Genesis? Where did God Spend time with his created in the garden. It says that he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. There's so much symbolism that takes place in that because paradise is heaven. Heaven is symbolic with the first garden. But here's the problem. As I get ready to wind this down, I want you to see this. Adam messed up. The first man, Adam. which is, That's what that means. Mankind sinned. We were placed outside of the garden. The, the garden that was set up here on this earth. It was a place where we had fellowship with our creator, with God. What was lost in that? Scripture refers to Jesus as the second Adam. What the first Adam lost on earth for us, the second Adam, which was Jesus, was reestablishing in paradise, in the garden, in heaven for us. But so much better. Jesus took the earthly Abode of God. And now we have that abode in heaven. How happy are we that Jesus did not listen to this thief on this cross, where he was saying, If you are the Christ, Save yourself and save us. How devastating it would have been if Jesus had saved himself that day on the cross. But instead, Jesus was reaching out to this guy. When he would not save himself, but instead died. And as he died, he truly gave this guy a place in paradise. What about you? Where are you? Are you Focusing on earthly things, temporal things. Jesus, save me from this. Jesus, don't make me uncomfortable this week with this. Jesus, give me this. Make me feel good, Jesus. But instead... Are we this thief to where we say, God, I have done nothing that deserves you giving me a safe place in heaven. Woe is me, for I am a man or woman, a boy or a girl of unclean lips. But today, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom?